0: Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest, disinterested people in Jesus Christ, and they grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, everybody, welcome. Hey, good to see you. Can we thank our band this morning for the worship? Praise God. Awesome. I'm so glad to be here with you on such an important day today, and we're excited about uh, all the, uh, the ways God is going to show up and is showing up in our service and in our time. And I want to welcome back uh, those who are stepping in. We got some folks who are back for the first time today. Can we honor them in the room? Praise God for that. And uh, I want to say, when I, when I showed up this morning uh, earlier to walk into this space, Uh, Ed was out greeting at the door, and I know Bill is here today. All is right with the world, I believe. Man, I almost was like, we could cancel church. It just feels so good, but we're not going to do that because i worked hard on a message. So anyhow, I'm so glad about that, and excited to be here today on such an important day. At the end of our service, uh, at the end of my talk, uh, we're going to take a moment, and we are going to install, we're going to pray over... Uh, Pastor Jose and Gigi are going to assume the role as campus pastors at Community of Hope East Campus. Woo! So, uh, this morning, I'm excited about uh, being here and laying some groundwork for that. Um, this is just a delightful couple. Uh, our hearts have connected quick. They come well qualified to step into the space, and I'm excited their family is here today, uh, both their families, and it's just an exciting moment for us today. And, uh, glad to be here for that. Um, and I want to say I'm thankful that, uh, we're moving through, uh, this weird time in this pandemic. And now things are starting to click back into place and come back normal. And for everything that feels normal, I'm excited, uh, about that. And God has really preserved our church in this time. I'm thankful that we're stepping in. You know, this, this step today with Jose and Gigi is an opportunity for us to become more, Uh, step into the vision that we believe God has called us to as a church. We're going to move into a little bit more of a sustainable model around that, and I'm really excited at all the support uh, that we've received over on this campus about that. God is doing some incredible things in our church. He's preserved our church through a very unique season, a very unique time that we can still, uh, in this space, I could stand before you and say we're growing. Our church is growing even over this weird time. And uh, I'm excited about that. So this weekend, on all of our campuses, we're beginning a series. We're calling the series United, and we're going to explore the subject of unity. And I think about this, uh, and of course, we're going to be speaking to some cultural trends and some things that are going on, because I think that is really an important thing. But I would say as well, I see some shimmers of connectedness around this, especially when we think about uh, stepping into this model as a church family, uh, you know, with our East Campus later this year. We hope to be launching our Lake Worth campus, and so God is doing some incredible things, and uh, we're pumped about that. So we thought we would talk about unity, and so what I was thinking is uh, today, uh, I was thinking about a passage of Scripture uh, that we are anchoring down as a text uh, uh, that uh, uh, in this series, and it comes from the book of Ephesians chapter three, uh, 4, and it's verse 3. I think we're going to put it on the screen. I want us all to say this verse out loud together. This will be our key text uh, over this next month. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Go. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now I want you to hear it this morning in a little bit of a broader context. And so Paul is writing this and here's what he says at the beginning of chapter four. And then this text, we could leave it on the screen is buried into this idea. Paul says this as a prisoner of the Lord. Then I urge you. He's talking to all of us. He said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient learn to bear with one another in love, and then here's our verse, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so this is an important passage of Scripture for us to think about uh, I was uh, thinking in, in the run-up to this series, last weekend we gave some attention to Memorial Day weekend. And that's always a time when we honor uh, you know, families and individuals who have paid prices for freedom, some in fact paying the very highest price for our freedom. It won't be long before we celebrate the 4th of July, which will be the 200, if I'm counting right, The 245th anniversary of the founding of our country. And there's a line in the preamble to the Constitution. You probably know it maybe through history class or civics class. It says this. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, and provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings notice the language there, of liberty to ourselves and to our own posterity, do ordain and establish the Constitution of the United States. I was thinking about that line in order to form a more perfect union. And how many of us would be willing to say in a space like this that we really believe we're in a space right now in our nation where we are forming a more perfect union? There's there's some challenge. And there's some important conversations we want to have, but I could tell you that I think that that's kind of an interesting Thing and an interesting lens to read uh, that through. Uh, when we were working as a teaching team on, on the beginning of this series, we were reading some interesting things. And uh, one thing that we read uh, together was a, a poll that happened in 2018 where it said this this is an Axios poll just to kind of set up the series. This says 54% of our electorate, okay, uh, as the Republicans believe the Democratic Party is spiteful. 61% of Democrats believe the Republican Party is racist, bigoted, or sexist. Approximately one fifth of both Republicans and Democrats each consider the opposing party evil. How we doing? A Pew Research poll from 2016 found similar numbers. 70% of Democrats say Republicans are closed-minded. 52% of Republicans say Democrats are closed-minded. The same poll found that 58% of Republicans had an unfavorable impression of the Democratic Party leading to the election, and 55% of Democrats felt the same way about the other party. We're fractured, right? To go it a little bit step further, uh, a gentleman by the name of Timothy Dalrymple is president and CEO of Christianity Today. Many of us have heard of that. He said this. He said, uh, writes about, he writes about the current movement, the current moment of the evangelical movement finds itself in. And so we know that an even, the evangelical church is, uh, that's an interesting term in these days. We have to be very careful how we define it. And so we're really talking here about big tent Protestant Christianity, this is the type of Christianity that we would fit ourselves in, this is what Timothy Dalrymple writes of this group. He said, one group within American evangelicalism believes that the religious liberties have never been more firmly established, and yet another said that they've never been at greater risk. One group believes racism is systemic in American society, another that systemic racism is a push of the progressive program to redistribute wealth and power to angry radicals. One group is more concerned with the insurrection of the Capitol. The other group with the riots that followed the killing of George Floyd. One uh, believe, group believes that President Trump and his presidency was generationally damaging the Christian witness. Another that it was enormously beneficial. One believes the former president attempted a coup. Another, that the Democrats stole the election. One believes masks and vaccines are marks of Christian love. Another, the rejection of the same is a mark of Christian courage. We're doing great. <laughs> There's some challenge in the room. I was, we were thinking about this, and it reminded us of an old joke. I don't know if you've heard this, about a guy who's walking on a bridge He runs into a guy who's about to jump, and he says, don't do it. God loves you. Do you believe in God? The man said, yes. The guy said, me too. Are you a Christian or a Jew? The guy says, I'm a Christian. The guy says, me too. Are you Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. Me too, what denomination? He said, Baptist. Me too, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. Me too, Northern Conservative Baptist or Liberal Baptist? The man said, Conservative Baptist, me too. Great Lakes region or Eastern region, he said, Eastern region, and they pushed him off the bridge and said, die, heretic. (laughs) These are some of the challenges right now that we are facing uh, in our nation. And so part of what we wanted to do in this series is have a bit of what we call a family meeting, and that's really what I want to label my message really today. Uh, every now and again when I was growing up, I don't know how it went in your house, but when I was growing up, every now and again when things weren't working exactly right, how many of you can identify with this? My dad would come into the room and he would bring us all together. Many of you all know I'm in the middle of three sons. So he'd bring the three boys, he'd bring mom, he'd sit down, and he says it's time for a family meeting. And generally when, when he called for that, that was a moment where my my dad was going to address some stuff in the room. I grew up in a home where if there was an elephant in the room, my dad pointed it out every single time. And he would point the elephant out in the room, and then he would challenge us as to how we could do better. Every now and again, he would say things like this. He would go, locks don't do, and then he would fill in the blank. And so he was kind of painting a vision if you will. And as my brothers and I, you know, would step through adolescence into adulthood, he was kind of painting a, a, a vision, if you will, of, the, of, of, of his preferred future for us. And so in a way, this is what we want to do in this series. And, and in a way, uh, we want to have a family meeting. And so, so part of a family meeting means this, Uh, If you are here today and you are navigating a relationship with Jesus Christ, you would not yet say he is your Lord, your Savior, your Redeemer, your Forgiver, your friend. There's a part of me that wants to say as a pastor, you get a pass on some of what I want to say. But if you're here this morning and this weekend and you identify and say to yourself uh, and to those around you that you are a follower of Jesus and a member of his way, then I want to say it's time for a family meeting around the subject uh, of unity. And I was thinking about this because uh, I have been in Christian ministry as a pastor since 1988. And I know I look like I'm 30. Okay. That laugh was louder than it should have been. Uh, But um, I, I have to be honest with you. And, and over that span of time as a Christian pastor, I've never preached a sermon on unity. And there's a part of me that's ashamed of that in a way, and there's a part of me that for whatever reason, either my own immaturity or ignorance or, or, or the, the, the rise of our culture didn't bring us to this moment, and I didn't feel a need to, I feel such a strong need that we would have a conversation about what unity actually is and, and what, it, what it looks like. And so this morning, uh, I want to take us to a passage of Scripture that really is the, 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 the passage that represents what I want us to think about. And I want to lay some pipes in the ground, if you will, that we're going to be building on in the weeks that come for these weeks together in this series. And I want to take us to John chapter 17, And I'm going to read to us, beginning in verse 20, and I'm going to read down to verse 26. Now, this is Jesus speaking, and in fact, this is a prayer of Jesus. And I want you to notice what he says here. So we're kind of coming in on the prayer, and picking up at verse 20, this is what it says. Jesus prays, my prayer is not for them alone. So he's been praying uh, for the disciples, but he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory, that you, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, he goes on, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Maybe in them let's pray together God I thank you for this space and I pray that Lord you would give each of us a fresh sense of your spirit's direction in this space and that God you would allow us to be able to do the good work of a disciple in a space like this that carefully thinks about the original context in which you have spoken and prayed these words, Lord, and then what meaning these words would have for us now in this delicate and unique season in which we find ourselves as your people. Come to this space and to this moment with the power of your Holy Spirit that these words might be found in us so that the world may believe in you this we pray in Jesus name and everyone said amen let me just say a few things real quickly here this is the night of Jesus arrest from here he will move to trial and to crucifixion almost if I'm counting right about a fifth of John's gospel actually takes place in the upper room and we have in many ways like a bird's eye view. We get like a front row seat to what is unfolding uh, in this moment, which makes this so incredibly powerful. It's a moment, as you would imagine, of high tension, high drama, high anxiety. And I don't know if you've ever been with somebody um, who is anticipating the coming of their passing. Uh, I have, certainly as a pastor. And in spaces like that, I can, I can tell you one sure thing that happens almost every time. There's not a lot of uh, anecdotal conversation. There's not a lot of conversation that isn't filled with meaning. There's usually a space where all of that is now gone, and what is happening in those moments is important and of, ex- in a, a, of extremely high value. And so um, in this moment, we find Jesus and the disciples. The disciples are still somewhat confused as to what Jesus was up to. And so he washes their feet. He teaches them about intimacy with God. He teaches them about the person and work of the Holy Spirit and what would happen over the next three days. And then he prays for himself. He prays for them. And then we get to verse 20, and he prays for us. And uh, in verse 20, he says this interesting thing. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, but he says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And then this is what he prays, that they may be one as we are one. That they being us would be one as we being God are one. Now I want to pause there for just a quick moment, and I want to say a few things here. I want to say, uh, uh, I want to observe that, you know, given that it's Passover, given that it's a pinnacle moment for Jesus' ministry on earth, is that the prayer that you would expect our Lord in that space to pray? And, and, And because I love you and care for you, I'm willing to go first. I don't think that's the prayer I would have thought he was going to pray. In fact, when I put myself into this moment, uh, I think of some other things that maybe he would pray. Uh, maybe he would pray for his safety. That's a good thing to pray in a moment like that. I mean, he knew what he was up against. Uh, the disciples knew what he was up against. Uh, maybe, maybe not that. Maybe he would pray for Caiaphas or Pilate. I mean, he knew their reputation. He knew that they had been compromised by the Pharisees against him. He knew that at the end of the day, these were not guys, nice guys. Maybe, maybe he would pray for them. That would, that would be appropriate. And if we didn't agree there, I would go, maybe, maybe he would pray for courage for the disciples in the coming days. I mean, he could tell the disciples were afraid. He could tell that the disciples were... Didn't really know what was going on, I mean, we would remember that Thomas was the one who said, I don't want to go to Jerusalem in the first place. And the time that Jesus told the disciples, we're going to go to Jerusalem, it was Thomas who said, I don't, I'm not sure that we, we should do that. And Jesus pressed him and said, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And Thomas, remember that great moment? Thomas said, well, great, let's go. We'll die right alongside of you. It'll be awesome. Maybe that's a prayer that, that, that they would have prayed. Maybe Jesus would have prayed for Rome to be overthrown. I bet this would have been the prayer of the disciples. I mean, all of, all of this, the Pax Romana, the power of Rome, let's take a moment and, and you know, go around a circle. Maybe Jesus would say, praise you, feel that? I think this is what they would pray. But that's not what he prays for. He prays that there would be unity in the church. And because that sounds so weird and sounds so different, here's my idea. That's worth closer inspection. That's worth a little more attention. Because here is Jesus in this pinnacle moment, recognizing so carefully and so clearly the only hope. For the church, being the hope of the world, carrying the message of Jesus, is if the church could be one surrounding the message of Jesus. I uh, will tell you, this has been, uh, in so many ways, the most unique season of ministry Uh, I've ever experienced in the most unique seeds of ministry any of my colleagues in ministry have ever experienced and gone through. And uh, all of the earlier cultural conversations that I mentioned to you, I have been as a pastor over the last year and some months in every single one of those conversations. And here's what I want to tell you. Every time I was in a conversation like that, And there was a moment, if there was any moment of challenge in the conversation, the felt assumption in the room was that I was only listening to the other side of the conversation. It's been a very fun season to be in ministry. And so it makes a moment like this, I think, incredibly powerful Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And when I think about this, Jesus is offering a prayer that the church will walk in unity. Now, here's an interesting thing. I want to share with you on this side of religious history. This is a prayer that is still being worked out. It's not completely answered yet. So think with me about this for just a moment. Think with me about this. Jesus, at this particular point, knows what unanswered prayer feels like. Isn't that interesting? Because this is still the prayer he prays for the church. And over the last year, it's sort of interesting, I've noticed this cycle. I think if we're ever going to understand how to walk in unity, we first understand what unity is not. Sometimes I think of it this way. People think unity is total agreement. And I would just ask the question, do we think it's total agreement? I I would say this with great respect. Anybody that thinks tells me that unity means total agreement, I know right away they've never been married. <laughs> can, I, can I just say that? Guys, right? Your wife comes out, she has two dresses, pick which one. That's always like you want to go, is this a trick question? I'm not really sure how to answer that. And so I would just ask the question, is it, is it total agreement? And I've noticed that we've set that up sort of as the pinnacle of everything. We could have total agreement, that'll end everything. Then if we can't have total agreement, here's what I've noticed. We, we move and we, we have what I call the cancel culture. If we can't have total agreement, we cancel the other person out and, and we erase them. And can I just be very honest with you and then I offer a bit of a challenge in the room? I think the cancel culture is akin to the spirit of murder minus the blood. That's what it is. I'm gonna erase you. You are dead to me. And I got to tell you, we've tried that in our culture over the last year and a half. Is that helping us feel any more unified? It is not. It is like a cancer eating the center out of our culture and our demographic. And then, of course, we move from cancel culture into hate. The problem here, again, I'm speaking to believers, is that Jesus told us quite clearly, we're not allowed to hate our enemies We're supposed to love our enemies. So we know that that's not open to us in the church. So then we just live in this conflict. And so I think it's important to have a conversation about it. And when you look at the spirit of unity in the church, it's an interesting thing. Unity actually means that we move toward one another in heart, in mind, and in action. And every time unity is spoken of in the Bible, it is the specific work of God manifesting that kind of unity. It's almost like the scriptures are saying this, we can't do it on our own. But in the power of the risen Christ, it's totally possible to move toward one another in spirit and in heart and in action. Let me, let me tell you something personal you may not know. Today, Beth and I celebrate Thirty-four years of marriage. You can look at that picture and you go, "How did he do it?" I am not sure how he did it. And uh, we, you know, uh, marriage is a great example. I think this is why a lot of times Jesus would make the 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 idea uh, of the body of Christ in its relationship with God like a marriage. And um, you know the power of moving together uh, in spirit and in heart and in action. Uh, we're planning a little trip later in July where we're going to a wedding of uh, some of Beth's side of the family. It's actually going to be out in Utah, and so we're gonna we're gonna take some time while we're out there, and we're gonna go see Yellowstone. We're gonna go see the Grand Tetons. And my wife knows me, and we're gonna be up in high places. And she said, "I don't want you getting anywhere near." anything because you'll trip and fall off the mountain. So she, she kind of knows me. This is what I'll do. And so she, she sent me a picture and said, we're outlawing this. And I thought, what a beautiful picture. <laughs> Holy kamoli, right? And I want to just say to you, this is a bit of a picture. I think of what it means to bring sides together in spirit, heart, and action, to have the unity of Christ around a common vision. Uh, because if you look at that, you know, there's a lot of unity there, it feels dangerous. And I think that's kind of the thing. So, over the next several weeks, we're gonna talk about unity. What it's not, what it is, we're going to make fresh commitments to being unified as a body of Christ. For our church as we move into a new vision, yep. For our community as the church goes forward with a commitment to like we call it around here, love the 561. We're going to make some commitments around that.